Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. Here's what it says. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Good morning, Vicki. So Paul opens up as he does most. Good morning, Robert. Opens up most of his letters with thanksgiving. Uh, he starts out by being thankful and grateful. And, uh, um, you know, talk about a leadership technology uh, uh, technique. Paul is amazing. At, like you look at the Corinthians and others where he lamb blasts them. But he begins with thankfulness. He begins with Kind of the positives and then speaks into the, their lives in a negative way. You know, it's the same way with so many of us in, in our, our walk as um, believers, parents, friends, that you can't speak truth into somebody's life um, without that bit of that relationship, without being thankful, without kind of giving them the positive, right? Uh, there's an old saying that you, you catch more flies with honey, right? People want to change. They want to do better when they feel like you care for them. And so Paul begins this letter uh, after the greeting, which we spoke about yesterday. He begins with thanksgiving, and he does so in kind of a threefold structure, um, two different styles of threefold. Um, Paul is very Trinitarian in, in the way he does stuff. It's kind of funny. but uh, um, And so the threefold structure, first, there's a content structure, and then there's a movement structure. And each one has three points. And so the, the content structure, we see first his expression of gratitude. Those are the verses three to six. Then he has this expression of, of, of kind of this affection for them, which is verse seven and eight. Good morning, Marcella. And then he has this expression of prayer uh, for the church itself. And those are verses nine to 11. But then the main structure is this idea of movement. It describes the relationship that he has with the Philippines, uh, the Philippians, Philippines, the Philippians. How many times am I going to say that over the next few weeks? Um, not Philippi, uh, the Philippines, right? That's what I wanted to say, and I couldn't say it. But when I want to say Philippians, I kept saying Philippines. So this is going to be fun. Um, but it's this expression of prayer for the church. So he's into the movement, which is past past verses three to six, present seven to eight, and future nine to 11. And we're going to look at those. Today, we're going to look at kind of the past part of what he's talking about. Tomorrow, we're going to look at the present. And then on Monday, we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at the future aspect and what that means in an eschatological um, type view. So 
and we'll get into that definition a little bit here too. Um, so past, he he begins with that idea of grace, right? You know, and he ended actually chapter two with grace to you and peace. Grace, I kind of mentioned it yesterday, is this word charis or charis, charis, um, and it's this idea of grace, okay? And then he uses the word, starting in verse 3, of I give thanks, or I thank, depending on how the translation does it. And it's this word, you, E-U, Sharis, tu. So it's Sharis, grace is in the middle, in this idea, and this concept of giving thanks. Giving thanks is giving grace. It's giving of that element. And so grace and gratefulness or kind of a play on words that he uses here. That action from God to us is the element of grace. And our response, that call is grace, and the response, the Eucharisto, is to give thanks. So our action towards God and towards others is to give thanks. So Paul begins with this idea of being grateful. He's grateful first in his remembrance of them. Verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. So in his situation, which is bleak, so remember this is written written in probably one of the last imprisonments. Paul knows that he is going to uh, give his life. He, he is going to end up dying um, and being martyred. And so he ends his it begins this letter and he could be very bleak he could be extremely bleak it could cause doubt it could cause despair it could cause even bitterness in his life and yet paul seeks to remember them and is grateful you know remembering can help us to be grateful Remembering the fellowship of others, remembering the friendship of others. It's what Paul's focusing on in the, the midst of what could be a very um, bleak time for him. You know, we sing a song that says, here I uh, raise my Ebenezer. And many times we think of Ebenezer as Ebenezer Scrooge, but an Ebenezer was a monument. And it gives the picture back to the Old Testament of remembering, setting up a monument. You know, God often told the Israelites, set up a monument so that when your children see it and they ask, what does it mean? You can tell them about how God showed up. We are often challenged to remember. In bleak times, in painful times, we can learn to be grateful by remembering. You know, I've shared before on Sundays uh, Kind of this idea and story and how this affected Mandy's in, in my life and how we, at a point in time, we were challenged by some folks to remember how God had shown up. And um, we started thinking and praying and going through and we remembered something that had happened in the life of Skylar um, and in the pregnancy that Skylar, uh, we were told that she would not live outside the womb. You see, her heart was on the wrong side of the body. Three ultrasounds had shown that, and they had said she would not live, and they'd actually talked to us about um, aborting. But we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and obviously Skylar is a very healthy individual because on that fourth ultrasound, her heart was switched. The heart was back where it needed to be, but you see, we had forgotten. We, we had taken something that 
was a miracle in our lives and life had gotten in the way and years down the road, we'd forgotten. Sometimes we need to take time to remember. Remember why? Even when a church is going through a tough time, remember the fellowship and friendship of those that are around us. When we're personally going through a tough time, remembering the fellowship and friendship of those that are around us and not becoming isolated from them. Paul teaches us to remember. He then goes on, he's grateful for their partnership in the gospel. Their partnership in, in, in the gospel. It says that in verse 4 or 5, sorry, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Partnership had many different terms. Some of your translations might say fellowship in the gospel, but fellowship isn't, isn't strong enough. Fellowship just kind of gets this mean of, hey, we sat together, we're kind of eating together, we're kind of doing life together, but partnership is this idea of there's something that I do because of all of this, right? We're sharers is another way that this word is translated, that they had things in common, and it could have meant uh, money, it could have been meant work, it could have meant their suffering, it could have meant even the grace. So the original word is this idea of, it, it, the word is kononea, kononea. Koinonia, I think is how it's pronounced. And uh, koinonia is this idea of, it can be fellowship, it can be partakers, it can be um, you know about our communion with one another, it can be sharers, but in this point, it means partnership. And there's a reason for that. You know, I often in our church like to say, you know, partnership instead of membership, because membership, I, I get something out of it. Partnership is I am compelled to do something because of it. And so we want to be partners in the gospel. And he is thanking them for being partners in their gospel, in the gospel with him, seeking to be on mission. You know, Paul prays for all. He uses this word, um, uh, prays for all of them. In fact, he uses it many times, uh, that word all, uh, throughout this whole entire passage. Um, uses it multiple times just here in verse 3 and 4, that it's not just some that he's praying for. He's praying for all of them, not just those he likes. Get that? And even later on in this passage, like he's in others, or in, in the, the book, he's going to talk in chapter 2 and 4 about some disunity that was going on. And yet he's praying for all of them. You know, we often like to pray just for those that we like. <laughs> um, and we ignore those that we don't like. And yet God calls us to pray for all. And when we are grateful for what God has done for us, it leads us to that love to want to pray for even those who are maybe our enemies. We pray for everyone because we see in them the image of God. Paul goes back to this idea of joy. You know, he speaks all throughout this chapter. It is one of the most joyful letters uh, of any of the epistles of Paul, and yet it's one of his last. But yet he was filled with joy. Paul, who's in prison, who's facing death, and he could have been robbed of his joy. He's writing to the, the Philippians in Philippi, uh, who are suffering as well. They're in conflict with one another, and they also could have been robbed of their joy. 
but he's reminding them how both of them, he and them, are called to be joyful. We are called to be joyful. Joy is used 14 times in this book. His joy comes from being grateful for remembering them and being grateful for their partnership of how God's working in them. Joy is the confidence that we have of God whose good works in the body of Christ will be completed and that he won't abandon them. We can be joyful. Now, joyful doesn't mean that we walk around with a big smile on our face and we walk with a mask that says, oh, I'm okay, I'm okay. No, no, joyful means that deep down because of the comfort and the love and the assurance that we have now. So remember, we're talking about past. We're going to talk about assurance tomorrow and what that means for us in the present, but how we can be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say it, I'll say it again, rejoice, right? We are called to be joyful, even in the midst of suffering. And Paul's given us that example. He could have been robbed of joy, but yet he's not. And he's commanding us, calling us as believers to be joyful in the message, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul looks at his idea of praying for them as a joy. He prays for them out of joy, not as a burden. He prays with joy for the work of God he sees in each and every single one of them. Paul's introducing so many themes that are going to be um, shared throughout this letter. And, and uh, some of them I saw was just like, you know, he talks about joy. He talks about the partnership. He talks about the gospel. He talks about thinking. He talks about his imprisonment. He talks about compassion and love. He talks about this word, all numerous times and we'll see that all and he talks about eschatological things about the future which by the way eschatology i'll define it now and like i say when we get to the future which will be on monday um which is in the future huh, uh yeah that was a joke um we'll we'll get to this idea of eschatology and we'll spend a little bit of time on it i'm not going to spend a lot because we could do a whole uh, we could probably talk for months on just end times. I'm going to give a very brief summary of some of the views and kind of give you a diagram to where you can see them uh, in a way, in a visual way. And uh, so, but eschatology, what that is, it, is it's this study of kind of the end. It's it's a uh, a study of the final destiny of all humankind. So it's heaven and hell and death and judgment and final destiny. But now here's the thing. Often when we talk about eschatology, all we talk about is rapture or none or, you know, that type of thing. But it wasn't just that. It, it was this idea of heaven and hell. It was this idea of death. What happens at death? It was this idea of the judgment of God. You know, the, the initial judgment, the white throne judgment, all of those. And it's the concept of in times of how do we get there? Premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial, tribulationists, all of that stuff. But so often when we talk about eschatology, all we do is speak about like tribulation, pre-trib, post-trib, rapture or not. And, and we don't speak about all the rest of it because there are a lot of different views that we won't get into here on what does heaven and hell look like? What does the judgment look like? 
those are all things that are critical in our understanding of heaven. And therefore, because we don't have a good view of heaven, maybe that's why we don't have a lot of joy. <laughs> because when we go through suffering and maybe even end of life things, when we're in pain and we don't have a high enough view of heaven and the hope and glory of heaven that we get caught up in our present suffering and we lose sight of it. So eschatology is more than just rapture and millennium, more than just tribulation. It's about heaven and hell and death and judgments. It's the destiny of all humankind. God's works, he is at work, that God's works and that Paul's talking about is that salvation, is the, the gospel that we've talked about so many times. It's the salvation of the hearers. But here's the thing, the gospel that he's speaking about here wasn't just about salvation. Because if we're not careful, we can take, when we talk about the gospel, we look at it as just a hell uh, insurance type thing. We look at it as all my all our job to do is to get somebody saved. And as long as I get them to save, and that's why like the Romans Road and so many things were so important. Um, you know, the uh, um, seven spiritual laws, those type of things, which were great. They are wonderful tools because they teach us how to share our story. But the thing is, is it doesn't stop there. I mean, even Billy Graham, you know, at first he did all these crusades, would get people saved and then he would leave. And they realized we were not, we're not helping because we're not getting them connected into discipleship. George Whitfield, who was an amazing outdoor preacher, looked at John Wesley, and John Wesley was a good outdoor preacher, but also had this system, this method of discipleship and classes and groups and, and these things of, of how you would be in, in, put into a group. Like we have church and we have life groups and then we have personal accountability groups, smaller groups that meet. And, and so that was John Wesley's method. And even Whitfield at the end of his life looked back and goes, man, I wish I had done more of that because I don't think most of my people that were saved ever truly grew up in their salvation. There was no sanctification journey that they were on, no idea of growth. And so Paul, when he talks about it, it's not just salvation of the hearers that he's concerned about. He's also looking at their activity of being missional for the church. And so we don't need to look at those as being exclusive of one another. That either you're all about salvation and saving people, you're an evangelist, or you're all about discipleship and growing people up. And the thing is, the church needs to be both, right? We, as the church, need to be concerned about both. Some of us are more geared towards evangelism than others, and that's okay. But we also need to be looking at discipleship. Some of us are more concerned about discipling and not about evangelism, and we've never even shared our testimony with others, and we need to be challenged for that. These should be combined in us as believers, in our churches. We should be doing things that are inward and outward focused. We don't just build a church. So in the old, old, uh, the old style and churches and how they formed in America was, and in a lot of other places, is you would build them in the center of the town and people would come to you. 
that doesn't happen anymore. It, it really doesn't. As we live in this post-Christian type society, people don't just flock to the church anymore. They're introduced to it through what sometimes I like to call side door ministries. It, it can be a 5K race. It could be a fall fest. It, it could be something completely outside of here that people do that because you do it and you're involved in a book club at a library and they come to know you and get to know you and then go, oh, you, you're a believer and you go to that church? Okay, well, I mean, if, if they accept you, then maybe they'll accept me. And then they start to come. Those are the way that the church reaches out nowadays and it takes you takes you. I can stand up in that pulpit and preach all I want about salvation messages and not have a single person come up because we don't have people that feel a need for salvation in our church because maybe they've been saints for 20 and 30 years and so the message doesn't apply to them. And maybe because our altars aren't filled with people seeking Christ for the first time, it's more of a sing symbol and now I'm, I'm getting out, as I think, on all of us, and even myself sometimes, that we aren't reaching out enough to a non-believer to try to bring them into the church. So Paul then is talking about this idea that the end of God's activity in our lives is not merely the salvation of the individual, but the continued engagement in the gospel, this mission and that mission requires the unity of believers. Not uniformity, but unity. That we're on the same mission. We may look different. Our churches may all be a little different in how that we work out the mission of God. But the mission, we are called to the great co-mission, right? Co, to do it together. The, the great commission to go into all the world and to preach and teach, right? And we are called to the great commandment to love. God and love others. And we're called to do it together. The word day in this passage appears three in three different times. Verse 5, 6, and 10. Two of these, one of them is the symbol of just the initial reception of the gospel from a non-believer. That first day, hearing the word, the divine grace, sharing the gospel, having somebody sharing it with you and you hear it for the first time and you respond. It's like Eden. It's like creation all over again, anew in their lives. It's that new day. The other two times is used in this idea of the day of Jesus Christ, which is the final day. It's the end of times. It's, it's those things. And again, we'll talk about that when we get into the future on, on Monday. Um, that day of Jesus Christ is the final day when that veil, that, that cover between heaven and earth is finally removed. The new heaven and the new earth. A good beginning will be complete. God's creation will be restored and renewed and redeemed. We will have renewed bodies, restored bodies. We'll have bodies the way they were supposed to be, right? So we currently are walking these line as believers between those two days. 
between the two days, the day of our salvation and the day of the future, which is our expectant, waiting, partnering with God's mission and all that he's working and doing in the world around us and finding ways to partner. You know, there's a statement that I, I've heard, and at first I was not very fond of it because I was very convicted of it. And it takes a look at Jesus's words and go and make disciples. And it says, maybe, perhaps, you're not truly a disciple if you're not making disciples. Like I said, I was very convicted of it. We are all called to go and make wherever you're at, as you're going in your workplace. On your social media feeds, around your family and your friends, we're called to be the light and the example. To go, to seek, to make disciples. So I hope that challenges us. Do we go out just trying to create an argument? Or do we go out because of love and our assurance, which we'll talk about tomorrow, the assurance of what God has done in our lives that leads us to want to tell others. We want others to have that day. We want them, we want to see their eyes open as they realize what God is doing in their life and how he is drawing them, proveniently drawing them to him. And we see a sinner come to Christ and be saved. It's my prayer for all of us. I mean, think of a church. Why did the Acts church grow in such a way why did the revivals grow in such a way? Because one person said, just like the woman at the well, come and hear. See. And we as believers cry out to the non-believer and say, come and hear. See what God's done in my life. Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you how God has reached out to me and worked in my life. Would you like that? Would you like to accept that? Would you like to be a part of that? So that's my challenge to all of us. Who do you share it with? And you're right, your example, Robert, the example, how we walk, our behaviors, those are powerful. But you know, words are important. And sometimes we, we say things like that and then not don't speak and that's i'm not saying that's what you're saying there but we use those phrases you know saint francis never said um preach all you can and sometimes use words right he, he never he never said that but we say he did um i mean it kind of fits with his lifestyle but that was not at all because he was a a major witness it's awesome sharon we'll definitely be praying for that <laughs> that's the beauty of being a believer is seeing it shared, seeing other people come 
to know Christ. They have to see us love. You're right, Jan. They, they have to see how we love others. But they need to hear it. I'll leave with this. There was a study that said of individuals who um, just about going to church and they said that there was, it was like something crazy, like 70% who said, you know what, if I was asked to go to church, I'd go. They want to hear it. They want to see it. They want you to tell them. Doesn't mean you browbeat them with the Bible. And you're going to hell. I mean, some of those phrases we use, like, if you were to die today, where would you go? They need to be eradicated from our vocabulary. But what we need is our stories. Let me tell you what God's done in my life. One of the ways is 333. Three ways, uh, three, three examples of who I was before Christ. 30 seconds of how I came to know Christ in my story of being drawn to Christ. And then how those three ways were changed by God. It's a simple way to share our testimony. So God, we love you. And I do pray. I pray that our actions, our attitudes, our examples, our social media feeds, our, the way we live our lives are examples for you. We are your ambassadors. But an ambassador also goes out and shares and speaks and doesn't just live a life of quiet Christianity but goes out and shares what God has done because I don't know but when I had my my kids when we when we had our kids I didn't just you know wait and then six months later when we saw somebody and they go oh you had a child <laughs> no we were so excited we shared it with everybody we filled our feeds with pictures of that new baby we sent pictures to everybody we knew we talked about the first the, the first word the first step the first crawl the first rolling over we were so excited about those firsts so God, renew our first love in you that we want to go out and share with others about that first day that I accepted you into my life. About the first time that I felt that I was truly growing. About the first opportunity that you gave me to share your testimony that you gave to me. Holy Spirit, empower us, convict us, settle over us in uneasiness until we're able to share. Help us to discern what to share and when to share it, because you have promised that you will give us the words when we need them. So God, we love you, we praise you, and I just thank you for what you are doing to grow us in the past, in the present, and in the future. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Go in peace and have a wonderful day.